Am I seriously going to just talk? People are so used to hearing me for two minutes at a time. What if they're like, oh my God, she's still going on. Ah! But that's okay, right? I mean, enthusiasm can be contagious. Maybe my love for the country will rub off on people. <laughs> I mean, that's the goal, right? Let's hope. Onward. Hello, and welcome to Politics Girl, the podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan, and this is my first ever episode, and I'm kind of freaking out. It's really exciting. I mean, anyone that knows me will tell you I've been going on about this stuff for years. I mean, like years. This is my jam. How government works, what's going wrong, what's going right, what could be better, who could help us make it better. You know, this stuff matters. And I know, I know, people don't think it does. It feels boring and complicated and like, uh, why should I bother? Believe me, I've watched my friend's eyes glaze over when I start to talk about this stuff. I've been told in not so many words just to shut the fuck up when I question some statement or joke or dismissive comment somebody made in passing. People don't like to get into it. They don't want to think about it. Honestly, they don't want to have to think about it. But unfortunately, that many people not caring is what brought us to this point in American history. And I don't think it's some shocking revelation for me to say we are not in a good place. Our progress has slowed to a crawl because for years our government has been in like a 40 car pileup and nothing was getting through. The fact that the Biden government got an infrastructure bill passed is actually pretty amazing. We haven't done any real maintenance on our country in over 50 years. And why the hell not? Infrastructure should be like a no-brainer. You guys like clean drinking water and bridges that don't fall into rivers, right? I mean, most people do. You want to call yourself a first world country, but your trains and airports look like we live in 1960. Our roads are full of cracks and holes and a fair amount of people in this country don't have the internet. And that's a bit of a joke. But it's hard to get stuff done if change is always obstructed. It's hard to make change when the powers that be don't want it. And if the people, the ones who are supposed to be in charge, aren't paying attention, then we leave all those decisions to a handful of people who are in it for themselves. And that apathy, that not wanting to talk or think about it, that not quite getting around to voting or knowing what's going on, that's what allowed us to get here, to a place where one party in a two-party system seems to have collectively lost its mind, where we sit post-insurrection after an unsuccessful coup by the outgoing president with one third of the country believing the sitting president stole the election and then wondering when they get to take up arms against the usurper. And so far, we're not doing anything about it. And that is freaking dangerous because if history or parenting has taught us anything, it's that when people are not held accountable for their actions, there's a pretty good chance they're going to do it again. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I'm an immigrant. I was born and raised in Canada. I'm from Toronto. I did my undergrad at McGill in Montreal. I moved back to Toronto for grad school. And then I moved to New York for a conservatory program. And I fell in love. I fell in love with the city of New York. I still love it. If you ask me, it's the best city in the entire world. I bought into the whole, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, Sinatra deal. But for the record, I did not make it there. However, New York were some of the best years of my life. Growing up in Canada, there's not a lot of patriotism. There's pride and there's honor. And over the years, we've grown a little bit more self-respect because people seem to really like us, but we've never done the kind of like rah, rah, go us thing. Canada's kind of more of a like, hey, you know, we're cool. We're just trying to do the right thing and be good people. We're the nice neighbor who lives beside the big winner. But I was inspired by the big winner, by the American dream. And I knew I wanted to be a part of it. I think that's the big thing for me. I chose this country. I wanted to live here. The story of America inspired me. This little scrappy upstart country who'd fought an empire for their independence, where anyone from anywhere can make it if they just work hard enough. This land of immigrants where people were encouraged to come and build a new and better life. A country of freedom and fairness. A country built on the heinousness of slavery, but one that had fought and won the war against it. 
a country that defeated the Nazis and the rise of fascism, a nation of winners and innovators that fought for democracy around the world and brought us the light bulb and the telephone and the airplane and the personal computer. I wanted to live in that country. I wanted to be one of the passionate patriots who came together on 9-11. I lived in New York City on 9-11. The view from my apartment was the Twin Towers. It was a horrible time. But the unity I felt in those days and those months after the attack, they changed my life. I knew I had to stay here. I felt a passion for this country I couldn't quite put into words. I cried the day I was made a citizen. I was so proud. I cried when I cast my first vote to elect Obama as president. I cried with my husband watching Obama be sworn in with our almost one-year-old on the floor at our feet. We really believed we were witnessing something great. We thought we were sitting at the turning point. We thought America was finally putting its racist past behind itself and our son would be growing up in a better world. And holy hell, were we naive. So yeah, Obama was elected and it was not the turning point I thought it would be. Just like 9-11 wasn't the turning point I thought it would be. Both events set us on a course that led us to war, to division, to the resurgence of white nationalism and the rise of religious bigotry. This country let us down. But I can also see how ignorant I was having all those flowery illusions of this country in the first place. I'm white, and I grew up as a privileged foreigner. And a lot of the problems the country had from the beginning, the ones that were glaringly apparent to tons of people, were just not apparent to me. Like when people say, check your privilege, they're talking to people like me. Because I didn't get it. And before woke was co-opted by the right to talk down to anyone with liberal values, that term also applied to me. It meant, wake the fuck up, stupid. Pay attention. Things aren't all good here, and we have to do better and be more aware. I'd been charmed by the beautiful ideals of America, but in reality, it didn't really live up to what was in the brochure. The truth is, this country, its real history, its current present, are all a bit of a mess. But we still have amazing potential. You can be disillusioned, you just can't give up. For me... I pretty much just have to listen to Neil Diamond's Coming to America, and I'm like right back in the game. You know, I'm like, doing it on the boats and on the trains. We're coming to, you know what I'm talking about. I got this. You know, that's why I moved here. I mean, sure, I could leave. I could go back to Canada, but I don't want to. We need people who want to fix things. And I'm one of those people. So if it takes a little immigrant like me mouthing off to remind you that what you have here is wonderful, or, you know, at least could be wonderful, then I'm doing my part. I wasn't born here. So maybe like any outsider, I have a different perspective. I'm part of your society, but not of it. And I'm telling you, you are in danger of losing everything that makes this country special if you don't care enough to fight for it. Okay, so that's a good start, right? I mean, a little background story, a little pep talk from the green card holder. But let's have a palate cleanser. I will embrace my very waspy, uptight upbringing. Bring a little sorbet between the courses, a little levity between the dense stuff that I'm serving. Let's just talk about something in the country that's going on that's not political. Palate cleanser. I'll work on that. The irony is, when I tried to think of something else that had interested me lately, something other than American politics and like geopolitical crises of the world, I found I was a bit stumped. I think I've become a bit boring. Between the pandemic and being a parent and the never-ending drama in this country, I thought, oh my God, what else is even on my radar? Oh, I know. I really liked Dune. It's a movie on HBO, based on a book that was most famously another movie, starring the very young, very hot Kyle MacLachlan. This version is incredible. It's 
stunningly beautiful to look at. The cinematography is mesmerizing. The ships make Star Wars look like a baby's movie and don't at me because they do. The cast is incredible. Every shot of Timothy Chalamet looks like a Vogue cover and I'm absolutely obsessed with him. It's complicated and frustrating and I loved it because they weren't spoon feeding the movie to me. There are so many movies that go like, oh, here's the good guy and here's the bad guy and we're gonna bring in this music to tell you when this guy's coming in so you know what to be prepared for and here are some visual and audio clues so you know something big's about to happen and, ah, and it's so boring, like, uh. Dune had things going on in the background that you thought, wait, what was that? What was going on there? And you wanna kinda like zoom in and pause it and really look? The whole thing made me miss seeing movies in the theater and that pre-COVID world where someone would cough and you wouldn't like jump out of your skin. Conceptually, I can understand that the film might not be for everyone. Personally, I love sci-fi and it's one of those movies where there's no ending and I know that frustrates some people, but I was still thinking about it days after and that must have meant something. And then I thought, oh wait. It's the story of the most likable leaders in the galaxy being set up to fail so their popularity and failness don't spread to other nations and a scrappy band of outsiders who would rise up and fight against that tyranny and I was like, fucking right back in politics. I mean, but it was good. Okay, so palate cleansed, back to the show. This past weekend, General Michael Flynn, a retired military leader who at one point in the last administration was also the U.S. National Security Advisor, whose brother is still the four-star general in charge of troops, who both took and ignored all the calls to the Pentagon for help during the insurrection, spoke at an amphitheater full of religious zealots, Trump fans, and QAnon supporters, and called for America to be a nation of one religion. He said, if we're going to have one nation under God, which we must, we will have to have one religion. One nation under God and one religion under God. And everybody cheered. Alex Jones, the disgraced and yet still wildly popular radio host, rolled into that same Texas event to announce that he had met with General Flynn and other great Americans to solidify the future blueprint of victory over the new world order. And then he said, God is on our side and God wins. And the people cheered. Putting aside that the government of the United States is not in any way founded on the Christian religion, John Adams, that in every country, every age, religion has been hostile to liberty, Thomas Jefferson, and that the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says that everyone in the United States has the right to practice his or her own religion or no religion at all. Because the founding fathers, who were of varying religious backgrounds themselves, knew the best way to protect religious liberty was to keep the government out of religion. So they formally separated the church and state. Flynn's rhetoric is some terrifying stuff. Our fundamental freedoms around religion is pretty much the reason why the U.S. has managed to avoid religious conflicts that have torn so many other nations apart. And this message of one nation, one religion is getting near universal coverage and amplification on media platforms. Church after church in America is hosting political revivals where parishioners are screaming, let's go, Brandon, which in case you missed it, is a euphemism for fuck Joe Biden and cheering one nation under God like it's the foundation of our country. Um, hello. The Pledge of Allegiance wasn't even a thing until 1945, and we didn't add the under God part until 1954. Religion is not what our country was founded on. In fact, it is a bastardization of what our country is founded on. And the thing about America and this concept of free speech is that over the years, it feels like it's been co-opted by people who want the freedom part without the responsibility that goes with it. They can take the speech part, but ignore the religion part or the freedom to assemble part. 
that people will fight to the death for the right to bear arms, but make protesting illegal when actually protesting and bringing grievances to your government come well before a well-regulated militia. And because of that, we end up knowing what's right, but ending up bowing to the people who are doing wrong because they are louder and they are meaner. We should have never let the big lie continue to get oxygen the way it did. There should have been a tsunami of consequences that rained down on the insurrectionists, their leaders, and those who funded and supported them. And that goes double for members of Congress, military personnel, and Supreme Court justices and their wives who should represent the country better. Just like police should be held more and not less accountable to the law, these people are traitors to America, and it feels like we're just letting it slide. We're allowing it to fester and grow like a cancer. The speech Flynn made was horrifying because it's so anti-American, and yet it's supported by people who think they are the most patriotic, the most American. It's how religious extremists sound. And history tells us what happens when religious extremists get riled up. It always ends in bloodshed and horror. We have a country with twice as many guns than people. And this man, with the word general before his name, and a sympathetic brother in the actual military, is now pitching a religious war? If that doesn't terrify you, you're not paying attention. There are hundreds of thousands of church-going people in America being told that their country has been taken from them, that God is on their side, that Democrats are satanic pedophile monsters who kill children and want to indoctrinate the rest. It's bananas. But one-third of the country believes it. At a recent rally for Turning Point USA, a radical right-wing group run by Charlie Kirk that targets the young and the college-educated, somebody from the audience stood up and asked in all seriousness, when do we get to use the guns? We're living under tyranny. How many elections are they going to steal before we kill these people? And everybody cheered. It's not a joke. Even the guy who asked the question clarified that. The right wing has convinced an entire group of people, including a large number of our police, firemen, and first responders, that they are living under some form of fascism. I mean, irony alert. And that they have to take their country back. And for the most part, the right wing leaders and people in charge don't even believe what they're saying. They know they're bullshitting these people. They talk about medical tyranny and freedom of choice, but the small print for their rallies insist on vaccinations or negative COVID tests. Fox News pitches vaccine mandates like massive government overreach from a broadcast studio that mandates vaccines. Trump and company are making hand over fist money off the anger that they have sowed and pouring gasoline on the fire of outrage at whatever the target of the day is. And now they're calling for a holy war? If you don't think it can happen, I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you, but it is entirely possible. Look at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial happening right now. That kid and his mother were radicalized against the Black Lives Matter protesters. No matter what he says about why he was there, he went to that protest armed and ready to shoot people, and he ended up doing just that. He shot three people and he killed two. And this boy is being treated like a right-wing hero, a vigilante for justice. And based on that absolutely unbelievable judge, he will probably walk. And what does that say to the other people looking to use the guns? Are we a vigilante society now? Or does it only not count as murder if you're shooting from the Christian right? Because that is fucking theocratic fascism. You know, what the incredibly popular Christian radio host Matt Walsh is always calling for. In fact, Matt Walsh's most recent podcast is titled, Kyle Rittenhouse is a Hero. So when Michael Flynn calls for one religion and violence is acceptable for one religion, then the rest of us better look out. Conform to our version of America, our truth, our religion, our laws, our leader, or die... I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in that country. Because you can preach freedom all you want, but as soon as you start cheering for taking the freedom and the lives of other people in the name of your beliefs, then we have a major problem.
Now, there are people in charge sounding the alarm, but unfortunately, there are more people in charge still trying to pretend everything is normal. There are people with megaphones saying, oh my God, you guys are such drama queens, and others like me saying, yeah, I know we sound dramatic, but it's true. We have to remember that American democracy is not promised to us, and we don't have the luxury of a fall of Rome, of screwing things up for a couple thousand years and then returning like, ha ha, we're back. We don't have the luxury of living through our own dark ages. The planet we are living on is dying, and only one party in America is taking that seriously. So if that party loses power, what happens to our world? What we do, what decisions we make, what we prioritize in the next 10 years, this is it. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. The most recent UN report called this a code red for humanity. Like we either turn things around or we just kill ourselves. The earth will survive, but this is humanity's last shot. Honestly, I, I don't understand these incredibly rich and powerful people who are enabling the Republican Party right now. Or... Quite frankly, the Democrats working against their own agenda. I mean, it's great to have money. I get it. I've had money and I've been broke and having money is better. But how much do you need? And at what cost? How short-sighted can you be? Your children and grandchildren have to live here. As far as I know, we don't yet have an Elysium for you guys to go and live the perfect existence while the rest of us choke on the air and drown in the sea. This is all of our home. Not just this country, but this planet. And the idea of living on Mars or colonizing the moon is the most irritating, self-indulgent, idiotic thing I've ever heard. It's like trashing your house and then moving because you don't feel like cleaning. We let it get really bad. The generations before us knew they were screwing things up, but they just kept kicking the can down the road because profit. And now they've left us with an incredibly overwhelming problem. But like I said in one of my earliest rants, think of America like a hoarder's house that we have to clean out. It's a paralyzing job. And I understand the instinct to just live with it because it's too much work or burn it to the ground and start again because you can't imagine it ever being what you want it to be. But neither of those things are possible. We talk a big game, but most of us are not going anywhere else. And we don't have the luxury of time to start again. This is it. We work and work and work until it's a place we all want to live and can be proud of. There's no quick fix to any of this. And being a brat about how you wish it was easier or different won't help. It's a one step at a time kind of a deal. So stop complaining and just roll up your sleeves. We have to care enough about this country to do the work to fix it. We have to inspire our friends and family to want to fix it. We have to understand enough so we can explain why we need to fix it. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. So we can talk about this stuff in a way that makes real change feel possible. At the end of the day, I want you to care as much about this country as I do. Because if there were tens of me, hundreds of me, thousands of me who could see the potential of this amazing place and were willing to do the work for it, we would be unstoppable. In the history of the world, this country is basically a teenager. We're young. We're not children, but we're not grown up. And we have a shit ton of money and power, which is a really bad combination for someone this immature. We're basically like 2013 Justin Bieber. And we're assholes who no one has ever held accountable. And we're melting down. But you can't give up on that kid. He can be destructive, not just to himself, but to the world around him. You can't allow him to give in to his most based instincts. You have to keep trying to make him better and allowing him to see that he could be better. And you can't allow the wrong people to be influencing him. One side of our country is talking about stolen elections, an armed Christian uprising, burning books, and monitoring the women's bodies. And the other just passed a bill to give you clean water and broadband. It doesn't matter if you've never been a Democrat or even a voter in your life. You've got to do it now. If we can save this thing, then there's going to be plenty of time to disagree later on a hospitable planet with a functioning government that's not in the middle of a religious war. Now is just not the time. So whether you lean more Steve Schmidt, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, or Nina Turner, 
We have a place for you under the Democratic umbrella. You want more parties? They're basically already there. But we have to unite against whatever the Republican Party or what used to be the Republican Party is doing because it's real and it's dangerous and it will not end well. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're at war with ourselves. And as Abraham Lincoln said in 1838, America's downfall will not be from abroad, but will spring up among us. If we are to be destroyed, we will be the ones to start it and the ones to finish it. So here we are. And you can continue to pretend it's not happening, or you can decide what team you're on. Personally, I'm on team democracy. And I think we can do a fuck lot better than this. So that's it for this week. Go out in the world and make it better. Or at least see Dune. I love you guys for caring enough to be here and listen. I'll see you next week. Until then, PG out. Woo!